Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us on this, our one-year anniversary for AOA. Yes, uh, March 5th last year, we went on the air. We're going to talk more about that later on in the program. But a big thank you to all of you who join us each day. Thank you to our radio station affiliates uh, around the country. Really appreciate your support. And looking forward to another great year ahead and beyond. Again, thank you so very, very much uh, for making this first year a big success. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're going to talk trade, China, Japan, USMCA, and more coming up. And we're going to talk trade and some other issues with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. We'll talk about that WTO ruling uh, that went in our favor and against China, and we'll talk about some trade issues and wheat issues with Chandler Gould a little bit later on in the program. But right now, we kick it off with the news with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, Well, good morning and congratulations to you, Mike, on your first year uh, on this program. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for being a big part of the show. We always look forward to talking with you. Uh, last week, I saw you in Orlando. Now I think you're in Seattle. I've made that trip before. That's a long one. Uh, it sure was. I think it must be the, about the longest uh, flight within the continental United States. It was six and a half hours from Orlando here. Uh, but I wanted to make the trip because I'm here to cover the National Farmers Union meeting. Uh, and that's uh, in full swing, uh, and they're going to work on their policy statements today, and they had uh, the Undersecretary Bill Northey as a major speaker on Sunday. I am assuming that trade and Farm Bill implementation are two big topics at that meeting as they were last week at Commodity Classic. uh, Well, uh, yes, they are. I haven't actually heard them talk about trade yet, uh, but certainly farm bill implementation. Uh, bill Northey uh, made news out here by announcing that USDA is hiring between 1,000 and 1,500 people uh, to be uh, fully staffed to implement the farm bill. Uh, he noted that there have been a lot of retirements uh, in uh, offices around the country, and so they are streamlining the procedures uh, to get fully staffed as soon as possible. We saw a lot of USDA officials last week in Orlando at Commodity Classic, and you mentioned Bill Northey there at the National Farmers Union Convention. USDA making sure they're very visible and getting the message out to farmers that they're making uh, farm bill implementation a priority. Yes, there's any more people out uh, out to speak. Also on Saturday at uh, in Orlando, uh, Ted McKinney, the Undersecretary for uh, uh, Trade and for uh, foreign Agricultural Affairs, uh, told the soybean growers and the wheat growers that they're, or not wheat, but the soybean and the corn growers at their annual meeting, uh, that in fact negotiations with the Chinese are continuing every day uh, by video, and that they are focusing not on how much corn and soybeans or other products 
uh, China would uh, import, but on the non-tariff barriers that keep out U.S. products. And McKinney said if we can solve the non-tariff barrier problem, then the numbers of of, uh, bushels of imports will automatically go up. Jerry, what, uh, how would you describe the mood that you uh, uh, saw and felt at Commodity Classic last week and now what you're seeing and hearing there at National Farmers Union? Well, at the, at the Commodity Classic, uh, you know, Secretary uh, Sonny Perdue, uh, who I have said is the most relentlessly cheerful agriculture secretary I've ever seen, uh, uh, got a very uh, good reaction. And uh, he has, uh, uh, but at the same time, behind the scenes, there's a lot of concern about what it's going to be like to get loans from the banks this year because the farmers are uh, now, you know, talking to their bankers and the bankers are going over their balance sheets and raising a lot of questions. Um, and so I would say it's, 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 uh, it's upbeat on the surface, but concern underneath. Now here at National Farmers Union, what I find so far is people are having workshops on extremely practical things, like how to how to implement regenerative agriculture, more uh, cover cropping, etc. Uh, and they're also talking about things like how to increase your sales at farmers markets. So that's been the mood so far. Today they're going to do policy. I may get more of a sense of uh, how they feel about what's going on in the Trump administration uh, and what the policies are going to be in the future. Yeah, you're right about Secretary Purdue. I call him the comforter-in-chief. He, he seems, and he's very good at it. He goes around the country and uh, reassures uh, farmers uh, that everything's going to be okay, that they're working on solutions to problems, and that there are better things ahead. He, he's pretty good at that, isn't he? Well, he is, and actually... Uh, he's been more outspoken recently about even being potentially in conflict with the White House. Uh, for example, when he says uh, we've got to get rid of these steel, tariff, uh, steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and Mexico, I'm still perplexed as to how he can go out and say that, whether he is really challenging the, the, the White House or whether the White House has given him permission to say this as a prelude. But McKinney... Uh, told the, the corn growers, uh, we really need your voices to speak out on getting rid of these Section 232 tariffs, that's the aluminum and steel tariffs, as, as they're known. Uh, and I was kind of surprised uh, that McKinney was kind of telling the corn growers speak out on this as though USDA really doesn't have full support in the White House for eventually getting rid of these. Uh, and, of course, the line is that you can't possibly pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement until those tariffs are released. That plus the fact that those tariffs have caused Canada and Mexico to put uh, tariffs on U.S. products and therefore have uh, interfered with, uh, with sales to those countries. That is interesting that you have those USDA officials out there not just uh, touting or spouting uh, uh, the company line from the White House. They are actually uh, challenging uh, uh, some of those policies that are in place when it comes to the tariffs. Yeah, I find that I find that really, uh, really interesting. Uh, and uh, also whether, you know, it may mean that Purdue is feeling very, uh, comfortable in the rela- in the position that he has established in the country, 
uh, and uh, think that uh, he can push that. I mean, I would say everybody that I talk to in Washington thinks those tariffs will be removed, but the question is, why don't they remove them now? Uh, and I don't have an answer to that. Well, Jerry, thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing more from uh, your trip to the National Farmers Union Convention. Thanks for being with us and being a big part of uh, our lineup here on AOA. Thank you very much. You're welcome. This is the last of the farm meeting, so I'll be back in Washington. <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you when you get back. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Stay with us. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, these trade issues and trade deals with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And on this one-year anniversary of Adams on Agriculture, a guest that we often talk to on trade issues joins us, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us today, and often during this past year, we've appreciated you being with us. Sure, happy to be with you again. And we keep talking about these trade deals, but it looks like, now we know things can change and have changed in the past, uh, but it looks like we're heading to maybe some kind of announcement with China later this month. Uh, Do you think that's going to be the case? Well, that's certainly what's being talked about and uh, perhaps a gathering down in Florida at the president's uh, place there uh, with President Xi from China coming in and uh, sign up some sort of a deal. Um, so there's been a lot of negotiations going on back and forth, you know, both in Washington and in Beijing. Um, you can see outlines of a deal, but, uh, of course, over the next uh, three weeks or so, we'll uh, watch real closely to see what comes together. Compliance is going to be a key part of this, right, when we start looking for details and not only what's in it, but how they'll hold uh, China to the agreement. Yeah, that's always a big part of this. Um, Everybody is aware that, you know, it's uh, one thing to uh, sign up for what you're going to do, but then holding countries to actually carry through. So what's being talked about by uh, the trade representative, Lighthizer, is a usual classic uh, trade way of doing this, what's called snapback, meaning that if you take tariffs off, if another country doesn't live up to the commitments, you could put the tariffs back on immediately, and that's a snapback provision. You don't really need to go through a lot of process to do that. Um, other things like that, of course, you'll have usual committees and consultations, but some of the teeth in that as far as really having effective enforcement goes to the idea of uh, putting tariffs on. So we looked uh, and wait to see what that deal may look like. I would say we'll wait a lot longer, Dave, uh, 
quite a while longer to look back and and determine whether or not it was worth it or not. Well, there's always that as far as let's parse this out a couple ways. There's certainly commitments that China could make as part of this deal. Of course, agriculture is very interested in purchase commitments, uh, and that's certainly being talked about that as part of the deal they would agree to buy X amount of agriculture, energy, uh, other products. And, of course, you know, they carry through on that or they don't, but uh, that could be fairly immediate. Changes in their long-term desires to reform how they do intellectual property, uh, technology, cybersecurity, um, those are long-term issues and probably will take long-term results. Um, Or part of that, and this is coming on the heels of a decision that came from the WTO in that case against China the U.S. brought a couple years ago, uh, which we just found out the U.S. won, uh, will they reform how they do subsidies on crops like uh, rice and wheat? So a lot of things could be in the agreement. They could make changes on standards barriers, biotech approvals, all the issues that have been talked about with China over the years. But we'll, uh, again, look closely to see what actually is all in there and what is left to be done. Hadn't heard much about the WTO lately till that ruling came out. We we tend to like it a lot more, of course, when the WTO rules in our favor, not so much when they rule against us, but they did rule in our favor this time. How significant a ruling is that, do you think? Well, I think it is. It's uh, one of those rulings where you, it, you have to go through it. You have to do this to keep the system honest, to keep countries uh, living up to their agreements. This was something that the U.S. had been chafing at for years. This covered the years 2012, I think, through 2016, and it was about excessive subsidies. They went way over their limits. Everybody has limits on the subsidies they can give to agriculture. Uh, they went way over. That's what the panel decided. So they need to reform. It's not like something they go, they pay a fine or anything in the WTO. You're supposed to reform. Uh, so they have to look forward to do that, or countries can take action. The action usually takes the form of some kind of a uh, potential tariff or something like that to make the country come into compliance. So they're on notice. Uh, again, their options are they could appeal. Often they appeal, uh, though the appellate thing in the WTO is a little bit in disarray now with they're kind of running out of judges, um, and that's for a whole, whole, a whole other discussion about the appellate body of the WTO. Or... They could uh, potentially, in this deal uh, with the U.S., uh, agree to make these changes and reform. They did make some reforms to their corn program. The case originally included corn, but they made changes in how they did that, and so the panel felt it didn't have to make rulings on that. So a good win. Uh, there's some other, another case against China uh, in the hopper based on how they administer quotas. Uh, we could look for a ruling on that almost any time. It was filed about the same time as this uh, case on subsidies. So just trying to make sure countries live up to their commitments. We're talking with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Dave, now we're hearing about uh, maybe this is the month that we get talking with the Japan on a trade deal. There's also talk about some kind of uh, reentry into to TPP. Uh, what do you make of all this, and uh, are we looking more at a bilateral with Japan, or is there a chance that we enter into some form of a TPP again? Well, as far as setting up a a negotiating procedure that's ready to go, it's the bilateral with Japan. The administration did their uh, notice to Congress, has uh, went through the process of putting together negotiating objectives, uh, 
So they're pretty much ready to go with Japan. Um, some Japanese uh, and uh, and uh, Office of Trade representatives to decide when that's going to start. Um, Ambassador Lighthizer, uh, in his testimony before House Ways and Means Committee uh, last week, said he was planning on going to Japan later in March. So maybe that'll be the kickoff of negotiations, something, of course, we in Ag are very intense about. Um, you know, we're falling behind every day. Uh, the other countries that are in the new, newly named CPTPP and the EU, which has a new trade agreement with Japan, are getting that preferential tariff treatment on uh, exports uh, to, into Japan that we're not. Um, so that's a lot of concern um, to us. For, of course, our major exports to them are wheat, beef, pork, a lot of other products. And uh, other countries will be getting, our competitors are going to be getting a better tariff treatment. That will also only get more severe as time goes by. So we definitely want to have a uh, negotiation with Japan. We know it won't be easy. Uh, Japan and the U.S. have agreed that at least Japan will offer as much as they had offered in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, something that was good. We like that. I mean, it's been a couple of years. We're always looking for improvements. But there's also autos to talk about, and that's always a uh, uh, difficult thing to work through. But we're hoping that gets started. You know, ultimately rejoining uh, CPTPP, um, being part of the broader Asia-Pacific group, uh, is something that uh, Farm Bureau has supported TPP. We'd support getting back into that. But I think for now the focus is going to be on the negotiations with Japan. All right. And now we're starting to, you know, see a little momentum starting up. A little more of the push is getting underway now towards USMCA. And this is going to keep ramping up, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, this is at the point where there's a lot of education going on, uh, people coming into town, our organization, many other ag organizations, talking to their members of Congress about why they support the agreement. But at this point, you know, there's no piece of legislation yet. The administration hasn't set up, sent up to Congress what's called the implementing bill. Uh, there's some required reports that have to be done and submitted to Congress uh, uh, before that takes place. So, Again, they don't have a piece of legislation to focus on yet, but it was a subject certainly of a lot of concern and interest with both the committee, Senate Finance Committee, House Ways and Means Committee, their leadership. You know, it has some things to deal with um, that are kind of beyond the agreement but uh, are associated with it now, both steel and aluminum tariff issue with Canada and Mexico. Leadership in the relevant committees has said they want that dealt with before they can consider USMCA, so that's a topic of discussion. And all these people have things they would like to see done better or things they can add to it, whether it's enforcement of labor issues, environment, prescription drug pricing. Um, you know, people will call them improvements uh, to the thing, and those have to be, uh, be worked on. I don't yet see... Um, usually at this point you have seen, but yet I don't see what I would call opposition to USMCA. More or less people are looking to change or improve different parts of it. Um, that may be, um, but I haven't really seen that yet. But this is a uh, process that has to work through. It has specific timelines once the implementing bill is sent up, which will lead to a final vote. So we're all uh, working. Hopefully we'll get, we'll get a successful outcome on that sooner rather than later. Very good. Dave, as always, thank you for being with us. You bet. Take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. More on trade coming up with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. 
next year on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. You have with us the CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, Chandler Gould. Chandler, thanks for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. Well, lots of uh, lots of key issues. I know you were talking uh, about a lot of these last week at Commodity Classic in Orlando. First of all, I wanted to get your reaction to the WTO ruling in favor of the United States uh, uh, against China when it comes to um, primarily rice and wheat. Uh, what's your reaction to that and the significance of that ruling? Well, it, it's very significant, and, and we could not be more pleased uh, on behalf of the U.S. wheat and rice growers uh, here in the United States, and, and we are very appreciative of the uh, Trump administration for continuing to push that WTO uh, case forward. We know on the wheat side, you know, this has been going on for multiple years that they have been internally subsidizing their wheat growers to roughly ten, uh, about ten dollars, ten dollars and forty cents a bushel uh, for their wheat, which has really put them at. Um, an economic advantage or disadvantage for our U.S. growers, roughly costing us about $640 million to $700 million of lost revenue a year. And now that we know this has been going on for several years, that already puts us in the billions of dollars that we've lost due to China's um, noncompliance with, w- with the WTO. So we wait and see. What are you expecting uh, China to appeal, or do you think they'll just uh, – they'll go along with this ruling, and then we have to watch and see if they actually do uh, uh, abide by it. Uh, there's still a ways to go on this, isn't there? There is still a ways to go on this, but I don't want to lose the the, uh, the positive and the momentum that we that we have from this. You know, if, uh, when you look at WTO cases that the United States is, is brought up in, um, we, we have a tendency not to be on the winning side of a lot of them. And so this is a huge win for us. Uh, the next steps, most likely, I would be shocked if China did not uh, appeal, which then means we need to go through the appellate body at the WTO. Uh, that that particular uh, body is backed up. It's got a little bit of backlog. So this is still easily going to be an 18, 24-month uh, process. But the good thing is, is that the first decision has come down in the favor of U.S. wheat growers, and that is a big win for us. I would expect the appellate body to come with come down with the same decision. And just as you mentioned, then we would have to turn to China to make sure that they make the internal adjustments to come into compliance with WTO. We're talking with the CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, Chandler Gould. Well, let's turn our attention to China. A lot of optimism and hope that a, a trade deal may get announced yet this month. Uh, 
How optimistic are you, and what are you wanting to see from a wheat perspective? Well, you know, last year, uh, normally uh, China is about our fifth or sixth largest customer, and you spend, you know, anywhere from uh, <clears throat> about $400 million, uh, what we usually end up selling in revenue or selling it in exports to China. Uh, last year, China bought nothing from us due to the 25% tariff that was placed on U.S. wheat. Um, you know, we are very excited for for those in the farming family here in the U.S. Uh, that do raise soybeans. Of course, uh, wheat in some parts of the U.S. is a rotation crop. And to see that China has said that they do plan to buy more soybeans from the U.S. is a positive step. But we'd really like to also see them saying uh, that they plan to start repurchasing wheat again. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but China is by far the largest wheat consumer in the states, and this is a an important market. Though it's not our largest market, it's an important market that we need to maintain. What do, What do you think is the potential there? Uh, and obviously, uh, they've been a, an important market in the past. Although you've been shut out this past year, as you said, uh, but it's it, it's probably a market we've uh, probably just scratched the surface on as far as uh, wheat. You know, yes, yeah, most definitely. You know, that's why it was so important. Uh, for NOG and our and sister organization, the U.S. Wheat Associates, uh, as we worked closely together to make sure that the MAP and FMD, so the Market Access Program and Foreign Market Development Programs, uh, were fully funded in the 2018 Farm Bill. With the amount of wheat that the uh, Chinese consume, or so. Uh, we're hoping the Chinese will come back and and continue to to purchase what they used to in the past, and then also we could use those funds to go in and show them that uh, the quality of U.S. wheat and that we are a dependable uh, resource for them, uh, that we can maybe increase some of our exports to that market. All right, we're talking with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Uh, Chandler, uh, what about the USMCA, uh, last week at Commodity Classic, the ag groups uh, came together, corn, soybean, wheat, sorghum, came together uh, in full support of USMCA. Why is that important to wheat growers? Well, you know, two major things for wheat. Uh, Mexico is one of our largest buyers. It it fluctuates between one and two, uh, between number one and number two. And, you know, during the beginning of this trade war, uh, we saw the Mexican government seeking wheat tenders for other countries like Argentina. And so we want to make sure that we don't continue to lose that market. And so uh, that's a big point for us, uh, the wheat USMCA uh, through Congress. In the northern, the Canadian border, we were able to get a regulation fixed uh, because Canada was not uh, compliant with WTO. Basically, no matter what class of quality your wheat was in the United States, as soon as it went north across the border, it was downgraded to feed wheat. And so that has been fixed in the agreement, uh, which is a positive for U.S. wheat farmers. And so this is a, another major agreement. We definitely need to make sure we have U.S. passed before withdrawing from NAFTA. Uh, but we are planning a big push uh, later this week with other commodity groups on the importance of that agreement and getting it through Congress. 
Yeah, so obviously it is a, a, a key agreement, and we wait to see what happens there. We're talking with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Chandler, you've cut out on us here a couple of times, so we apologize for that. Our connection isn't the strongest. But before we let you go, uh, wanted to check, ask you about uh, trade, obviously, right at the top of the list of your priorities for wheat growers uh, for this coming year. What are some of the other priority issues that you'll be working on? Well, yes, trade by far uh, will be at the top. Farm bill implementation, you know, with the government uh, shut down, uh, we have got a backlog on getting some of these programs out. You know, our producers in the southern part of the United States will need to start uh, looking at whether or not they want to change from ARC to PLC. Uh, you know, there was a pretty significant rewrite of the conservation title, so there will need to be some education to our producers, not only from the USDA, but uh, that's our job as NOG to educate them on which conservation programs are best for them. Uh, and then moving forward also with not the FMD funding, as I said, and, and working on these trade markets through the foreign ag service. And so really, um, if I had to put things in order, it would go trade, uh, farm bill implementation. And then NOG is really going to start focusing also on uh, we've got another tax bill coming up, uh, infrastructure, so locks and dams and rail and railways and what we can do here internally to help uh, either maintain the cost of production but hopefully lower the cost of production for our U.S. wheat growers. Because there's no doubt uh, you're in a very competitive uh, global situation when it comes to wheat, aren't you? We definitely are. And, you know, um, you know if you, unless you're in the Pacific Northwest or the PNW, you have no choice but to put your wheat either on a barge, or in a truck, or on rail uh, to get it to its next point. And so we've got to make sure that not only do we have efficient transportation uh, and, and means to move our wheat, but that we can also remain price competitive. Yeah, when we look at uh, wheat prices, uh, obviously not where producers want them to be. Uh, I guess some would say, are, are we getting to a point where we're, we are the attractive price though, to some of these buyers around the world? Well, you know, you would think we would be exporting more with where our current U.S. Oh. Uh, 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 price of wheat is. But then, of course, with the dollar being as strong as it is, uh, that is one of the things that also hinders us doing uh, exports. But then uh, also just uh, the dis- disruption of trade. Uh, we have countries that are concerned that we're not going to be a reliable source for them uh, over and over again. And that's why it's important that we get USMCA passed. That's why it's important that we get this deal with China passed. It's also important why we get the uh, agreement that Japan has said that they would be interested in uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think our reliability, our reputation as a reliable supplier, that's what's going to take time to reestablish after all these, uh, these trade issues. Even once they're worked out, that's the long-term effect, isn't it? It most definitely is. It's a ripple effect, and, you know, uh, just like when um, – you know, high school, college, wherever you want, uh, your reputation always precedes you. And, and the United States has always been there as a strong, reliable source. Uh, you know, even in our years when we were having drought or weather issues, uh, we made sure to notify, you know, our, our export markets and, and uh, companies that we worked with that we were having issues. But uh, going the route through tariffs and things like that really brings uncertainty to the international trade market. And so I, those, those reputations and relationships are going to take years to rebuild. 
All right, Chandler, thank you for being with us, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be talking about some trade deals getting done here soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Had some uh, connection problems there on the phone line. Uh, we apologize for that, uh, but we certainly appreciate Chandler for being with us. Trade, top issue uh, once again for another segment of agriculture as we continue to watch these trade deals. Stay with us. More coming up on AOA. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, I mentioned earlier that this is our one-year anniversary for Adams on Agriculture. We're going to take just a few minutes uh, to uh, mark this occasion and and say some thank yous. You know, uh, the concept of planting a seed and watching it grow, very familiar to to those in agriculture and to those uh, backyard gardeners. And, uh, you know, that's that's the circle of life. You plant that seed, watch it grow, and uh, you hope it bears fruit. Uh, Well... One year ago today, we planted a seed, and it has indeed uh, grown very uh, quickly and is bearing fruit. One year ago today, Adams on Agriculture went on the air. It has been an amazing year, to say the least, and it all happened very quickly. Uh, I received a call from Lance Knudsen, owner of the American Ag Network, back in December of 2017, asking if I'd be interested in creating a new show. I said, well, let's talk after the holidays. I didn't think a lot more about it. Uh, it was kind of in the back of my mind. But in mid-January, he called again, and we we talked some more about this idea of creating a new syndicated radio show that would be driven by news content. I loved that idea. And in a few days, we talked some more along with Mark Swenson, and it came together very quickly. We, we had an agreement. Uh, we were on the same page. We uh, had the same vision, what we wanted to do. So we came to the agreement, and then, and then the work really began. We decided, ambitiously, to try to launch the show on Monday, March 5th, 2018. In other words, in about six weeks, we had to create, from scratch, a brand new show. Well, along with a very talented and dedicated staff at the American Ag Network, we we set to work to to do that. Equipment had to be ordered and installed and and checked out, tried. A name and a a format had to to be chosen. Numerous technical issues had to be resolved, and all in a very short period of time. And, of course, we needed radio stations that would be willing to commit airtime to a show that at that time was still a concept. It was not a reality. Well, I'll be forever grateful to those stations that trusted me enough to join us one year ago and help us to get this show established. 
Since then, several more have joined, and AOA continues to grow. More are coming, more are talking about joining us, and we look forward to announcing even more stations joining us here in the very near future. I spent 27 years of my career in local radio. That's how I got started, and I have a great appreciation for what those local radio stations do. Local stations are a vital part of rural communities and they provide a great service. And I'm proud to be a part of their lineup each day, providing information to their listeners. So if you like the information that you get from this show and others on the station that you are listening to, be sure to tell them. A lot of times they hear only if somebody's unhappy about something. Be sure to let them know that you're happy with uh, this program and what they're hearing and the information that you are getting. I'd appreciate it. And I know those at those local radio stations would, too. You know, when we started this show a year ago, I said we would cover issues important to rural America. And I believe we have. Farm Bill, of course, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, getting that uh, passed and now implemented. Trade, as we've talked about here today, and that's at the forefront right now. It is so important to agriculture. Renewable fuels, health care immigration, markets, weather. These are all critical uh, issues and events and things that we constantly talk about here on Adams on Agriculture. And they will continue to be key topics that we will cover as well as many others. Now, my goal each day here on Adams on Agriculture is to provide you with insight and perspective on these important issues and topics and let you hear from those that are actually involved in the decision-making, such as members of Congress and USDA personnel, as well as those that represent America's farmers and ranchers with their member organizations. Whether it's legislation or it's regulation or new products or technology, an old issue or a new one, well, my goal is to provide you with the information that is important to know to help with farming and ranching operations and to explain, and that this is a big part of the show too, to explain to non-farmers why these issues are important to them as well, to try to help educate uh, non-farmers about uh, these important issues when it comes to food and fiber production and fuel production in this country. Your response to our show has been overwhelming. And it's appreciated more than you can know. We now have stations in nine states airing this show. Many others listening all around the country on our podcasts. And we thank you for your support. Also, my thanks to our guests each day who are willing to take time out of their busy schedule, sometimes at short notice, to be on with us to discuss these important topics. We try to keep everything as timely as we can, and that's why sometimes I'll contact a guest uh, uh, at, a, at a late notice because there's breaking news and their willingness to come on with us, to trust that we'll handle it in, a, in the right way and in a fair way, uh, that's important. That's an important relationship. And I enjoy hearing from you. You can email me at mikeadams at americanagnetwork.com or join us on Twitter at mikeadamsag. This past year has flown by. I can't wait to see what happens in this coming year and the years beyond. These are challenging times for our country in general and in agriculture and rural America in particular. But together, 
we will explore and search for solutions to those challenges for now and into the future as the seed we planted one year ago continues to grow. Again, from all of us here at Adams on Agriculture, to all of you, thank you for a great first year, and we look forward to many, many more in the future. Tomorrow, the new E15 rule proposed uh, by EPA. We'll get more in-depth there, and what are the chances of getting done by this summer? Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Thanks, everyone. <music> 